to Miss Robin. This time I've asked Brother Eric Carroll to come. He's coming because, first of all, he's a born-again Christian and a brother in Christ, and secondly, because he's a United States soldier. And I'm so thankful for him and for so many of you who have oft-refreshed this preacher. Thank you, brother, for coming. Pastor asked me to come share a few words on what it's like being a Christian in the uh, United States military. I was here 36 years. Didn't visit as many countries as Brother Bob did, but I visited quite a few. And I spoke with Brother Pete earlier during the week about something I have kind of an inclination to talk about. But a few nights ago, I said, you know, that's not of the Lord. I, Lord, what do you want me to say? What would you have me to say that may help someone, that you may have a heart prepared for something that I'm going to say to possibly help someone? And as I look back and he gave me what to say, it, uh, it's even helped me as well. I, um, the majority of my career, I was in a, uh, maintenance company. We supported uh, a combat support battalion. So if uh, uh, a battalion went into to a conflict or something, or you know, a, a bad area, a war zone, combat zone, whatever you want to call it, we were we were the direct support, maintenance support for them. And I fell under the uh, the 927th CSSB. And uh, what I was about to tell you is one of the biggest challenges for me as a Christian in the military. And there's been many, many, many. But this by far is probably, was probably the hardest one. And I believe this is what the Lord would have me to say. That in that battalion you have, and I know a, a lot of the civilians out there don't understand military rank structure. But as, a, as an enlisted soldier, you have enlisted and commissioned, non-commissioned and commissioned. Uh, as a non-commissioned soldier, the highest rank you can achieve is E9. That's either sergeant major, which, you know, doesn't really uh, command troops, but then you have a command sergeant major. He or she commands troops. They're at the top of the food chain. They've been through a lot. If you make it to that rank, you, you've been through something. My problem in this case, my command sergeant major disliked me greatly. I won't say hated, but sometimes I felt he did, and I didn't know why. That's, that's what was so hard. I didn't know why he felt the way he felt about me. He would come, sergeant majors come and visit their companies within the battalion. Whenever he would come and visit our company, I would have friends come and tell me, say, man, what in the world happened between you and Sergeant Major? Hopefully I'm not here related to him. <laughs> <laughs> man, what in the world happened with you and Sergeant Major Lagasse? His name was Christopher Lagasse. And every time he saw me, I could just see the look on his face, and I didn't know why. So people would tell me, say, man, Sergeant Major Legacy is here today. 
what in the world happened to him? You know, you must have rubbed him the wrong way. Because I haven't rubbed him at all. I don't know what it is. My first sergeant, I was an E-7 at the time, trying to make first sergeant. My, my um, first sergeant would come to me and say, man, what is it between you and Lavish? I said, I wish somebody would tell me. I don't know. I had a friend working in battalion. She overheard a conversation between Sergeant Major Lagerson, the battalion commander, and I believe it was the XO. Not sure, but I'm not sure about the third person, but I remember this conversation. She come to me and she said, Frank Kelly, battalion had a meeting about you today. <coughs> and whoever that third person was, the battalion commander, I heard them through the door. It got heated. They, they, they want you as the next first sergeant of the unit. She said, but Sergeant Major Lagerson, he got, he, he got really, really loud. And they asked him, what do you have against Sergeant Kelly? And he said, I don't like him. Now, sadly, I, I would hate to think that, I would hate to think it, that it was my wife because we had functions and stuff together, Christmas parties, different events for, you know, for the unit and, and the battalion. But I don't, I don't know that for sure. I just didn't know what it was. But the Lord had something in store. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even think about it. So this particular training event was range qualification, the most important uh, probably training mission you can uh, partake in is range qual. For some reason, the commander and first sergeant was off to school. So they, they made me acting first sergeant and Lieutenant Berg acting commander. So we had our marching orders. We knew what we had to do. And again, I don't know why. But the ST time, I missed the ST time, which is bad. That was nobody's fault but mine. I took full responsibility for that. Because when we're sitting in that training meeting and we're, we're, we're uh, marking out the timelines, I looked right at that timeline, knew that, that, that there was no way that it was going to work, and I didn't say anything. And I don't know why I didn't say anything. They gave me a half an hour, and it should have been closer to two hours. But I didn't say anything, and to this day, I don't know why. So that day starts, everything goes terrible. That sergeant major starts calling me. Where's your company? Why are they on the range? Didn't have a whole lot I could tell him. I know the man just like me anyway. I didn't have a whole lot I can tell him. I said, I missed my ST time. So he hangs up the phone. So as the day goes on, I get the company there. We start qualifying. We do well. At the end of the day, here comes a, a messenger to me and Lieutenant. And he's not bringing good news. He says, the battalion commander want to see Lieutenant Berg and Sergeant Major Lagasse want to see you at battalion. I said, well, here we go, Lieutenant. So I sent the company back. I turned the company over to an, another E-7. He took them back, and Lieutenant Berg and myself went to battalion. When we got there, or on the way there, I was saying to myself, now I know whatever it is, I'm going to suffer from this. It has very little or nothing to do with me missing that ST time. This man's going to nail me because he don't like me. And I knew that, and I 
but there was nothing that I could do about it. So when we got there, the battalion commander stepped out, called Lieutenant Berg in that office. Lieutenant Berg was shaking the whole time. And um, Sergeant Major Lagasse walked up to me and said, let's go out back. I said, okay, Sergeant Major. So we went behind the, the, the uh, battalion headquarters building. He was standing like this. He put me at, at ease. He was standing facing the parade field. He wouldn't look at me. He was looking across at the parade field. He said, what happened? I said, I missed my SP call. Why? I said, Sergeant Major, I don't know why I didn't say something. But when we were in the training meeting and we were going over the timelines, I saw and knew. I was telling you the truth. I saw and knew that I wasn't going to make that SP call. And I don't know why I didn't say anything. He's still looking out across the parade field. He says, don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I didn't know what was coming after that. He said, don't worry about it. I've done the same thing. He said, consider it a learning experience. You'll be better next time. And I didn't expect to hear that. And then he turned and looked directly at me. He said, Sergeant Carroll. I said, yes, Sergeant Major. He said, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yes, Sergeant Major, I am. He said, me and my wife, we're in trouble. I said, what kind of trouble? Sergeant Major. He said, my daughter, I don't know if you know it, but my daughter just died. She was either 15 or 16. You know, uh, he was the tall hog in the trough before, but I, he was broke. He was broken. And I, I, I hated to see it. As nasty as he was, put me blocking my promotion. And among other things. I was hurting seeing him hurting because he lost his daughter. I said to him, I said, Sergeant Major, I'm sorry that you lost your daughter. I said, I put her on our our prayer chain. She's right here at this church. I put her on the prayer sheet. During the times he, he was ranting and raving and doing what he was doing, I put his daughter on the prayer sheet here. Well, Russ, I said, but my church has been praying for her. I'm sorry that she didn't make it. He said, it, go, it goes beyond losing her. Sergeant Carroll, I said, what is it, sir? He said, we don't know where she's at. I said, we don't know. We never told her anything about God, Jesus. We never took her to church. We don't know where she's at. And I realized this man was about to ask me something for something I can't give him. I can't tell him. There's nothing that I can say that can help him because his daughter's gone. It's, it's beyond anything. But I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, please give me something. Give me something, please to ease the pain.
he went on telling me about how his wife cries all day long and how she doesn't sleep and he doesn't sleep and how they're being tormented from not the death of his daughter, but not knowing where the daughter is. I said, Sergeant Major, we can't assume that your daughter is one place or another because you didn't do or your wife didn't do a certain thing. We don't know. She, she may have came to your daughter uh, while she was in the hospital or, or even while she was at home at any time and gave her, shared the gospel with her, and we don't know what happened. We can't say where your daughter is. We can hope. I said, prayer does no good now. I said, but we can hope that somebody shared the gospel with her that she was, that she was saved, she would be saved. That meeting that I thought was going to be a royal chewing, we talked about uh, what went on military-wise. About 10 minutes, we stayed back there almost two and a half hours behind that battalion building. The next training... The next training session, he came there. He wasn't even supposed to be there. I know he wasn't supposed to be there. He came and pulled me out of a meeting. He said, come take a walk with me, Sergeant Kelly. I said, yes, Sergeant Major, I'll do that. So we went walking through the compound. He said, I want to ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, I was told that you shouldn't pray for yourself. I said, Sergeant Major, I don't know who told you that. I said, sometimes you don't pray for yourself. You don't get any praise. I said, I don't know who told you that lie, but don't believe it. Then he told me about some things he was going through. I never figured that this man would have told me these things. He was under investigation for stealing money from the military. And it goes deep, it goes far deeper than that. It goes into the relationship realm with younger soldiers' wives and all kinds of stuff. He was in a bad way. I knew this already. I didn't know the part about the money, but I knew the other part. I said, Sergeant Major, I'll tell you, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I never seen him again. I can never remember seeing him again. He had plans, but God had other plans. He said, we'll never make first sergeant as long as I'm the sergeant major of this battalion. I did make first sergeant. The Lord sent me to an engineer battalion when I made first sergeant. And within that engineer battalion, <coughs> my sergeant major, his name is Jeffrey Coffin. He's a born-again born Christian. Right now, retired, he's pastoring a church up north. It was almost unheard of, the things he allowed me to do in the military for the Lord. And because, simply because he was born again and he had that power to, 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 to let it be so, it was so. I was able to pray in front of the company's main event 
PT test. NCO's officers that failed their PT test, they would come to my uh, room, uh, first Reverend and I, would you pray for me tomorrow during my test? Would you pray with this, pray that? Military chaplains, they have to, they have to like straddle the fence because you got so many different denominations out there that you're speaking to. You got some that don't believe, period. So you can't, is, 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 is Jesus Christ is your Savior? And I, I haven't heard, I haven't heard many of them stand on that ground and say that because they know what could happen. But I was blessed. The last four years of my career was definitely orchestrated by the Lord. That was the best years of, my, of the military for me because the Lord put me in a position to where my job was soldier's issue. If the bills weren't being paid, I knew about it. Whatever was going on, if, if it affected their duty performance, I knew about it. And the wonderful thing about it was I had the power to do something about it. If it was a younger soldier and, 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 and they were being mistreated by a, a, a seasoned NCO, I had the power to straighten it. But more importantly, all those issues that came to me, I could put them in my office and I could witness to them freely. Freely witness to them. Some I led to the Lord. I want to thank Pastor for giving me an opportunity to come up and, and say a few words. And I think I've shared what the Lord would have me to say. What is it like being a, a Christian in the military? It has its challenges. Especially, especially when you're in a combat zone. The challenges are just magnified. But I will say this, and I spoke to Brother Pete about this earlier. Even, though, uh, even there, people are more receptive to the Word of God when, they're in <laughs> when things are going real bad. They're more receptive to hear what you have to say about the Lord. All before, they, did, they may not want to hear. But when things are getting real bad, they'll hear you. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Thank you, Brother Eric. Take your Bibles, if you would, the moments we have left, and turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. I realize the time of the hour, so I won't preach a full sermon, but I think this goes along with what Brother Eric said. Because basically, in the military, or as a Christian in the Lord's army, you and I have responsibility to speak up. You have to speak up. Your life speaks. Everything you do speaks. It tells how you are. How did his sergeant major know he was a Christian? His life said it. He didn't have to say it. His life said it. What, is we, what have we lost as the United States of America? Our godliness. You look around the world and people, what do they think about the United States? 
You think the first thing they think of is godly? Or would they say greedy? Would they say we believe in God? Or would they say we believe in technology and Hollywood and, te- and stuff? What would they say about America? Well, there was another country that was getting ready to go into judgment as the United States currently is in judgment. So how do you know the current United States is in judgment Tuesday night? When you vote for the things that folks vote for, you know we're in judgment. All you had to do was just look up and read the newspapers the next day. We're in judgment, folks. And the reason why we're in judgment, because we, as God's people, have disobeyed God. The problem in the United States is not in the White House. The problem is not in Tallahassee. The problem is down, not down in Gainesville. The problem is in the church. And when God's people don't act godly, God's judgment happens. And it happens first in the house of God. And so judgment was coming first to Israel as it did in 722 B.C. Israel was judged, taken to Assyria. Then in 586 B.C., Judah would go into captivity. And one of those prophets before Judah went into captivity, ca- captivity was by the name of, of uh, Jeremiah. And he said in, in chapter 9 and verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep er, er, day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them. For they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. They bend their tongues like bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know me not, saith the Lord. You read those words, you read the condition of the United States of America right now. A land full of lies. And liars. A land where they can't even count in Arizona. I heard this morning that Big Bird left the Sesame Street and went to, went to Arizona. <laughs> in pretty bad shape. We're, we're, we're in a world of lick, wickedness. In a land of wickedness. And it's on every side. All you got to do is pick up the paper. Oh, you gotta look at the news for just a few moments, and you you just it's a plethora of wickedness on every hand. So what did Jeremiah say? Okay, Sarah, Sarah, it's just how life is gonna be. No, you know what he said? He said, if you read the rest of this passage, he said, Repent. Repent means to go a different direction. The only hope for Judah, the only hope for the United States of America is not in technology. It's not in government. It's in God. That's the only hope for this land. And it starts in individual lives. It starts in your life as an individual. That we have to choose to repent, turn a different direction from a way of ungodliness and turn back to God. And see, if we're going to stay the hand of judgment, 
that we who know him must be valiant for the truth. You see, what is valiant? Good, good, good question. It means possessing or showing courage. It, it means determination. And I thought about Veterans Day. I thought, what a great word, valiant. Growing up, my dad was this, I saw this, this plaque right besides his chair that said, dishonorably discharged in the United States Air Force. Honorably. I kept thinking about that. And I think about the military. I'm so thankful for their sacrifice so that we can have what we have today. But we as the Lord's soldiers, as the Lord's army, we must be valiant for the truth. We must be valiant. Why? Why? First of all, why? Well, because we must, we must know the truth and share the truth. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That's the truth of the word of God. We have more opportunities and more ways to know this book, but we are probably the most illiterate in the history of the world of this book. You can get it on tape, CD, every which way, but folks do not know the Bible. And if you don't believe me, come on visitation with me sometime. Just yesterday, it was Mike and I were out, my, my wife and several others, thank God, 12 of us, we're out, and this dear lady opened the door. She was Catholic. She was going through a difficult time. She, there, was some, there was some leukemia in the family. And she, and she said to me, uh, I'm done with organized religion. I said, the Bible said that Jesus, he's the one who started the church. I have built the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Is, gee, the, the church isn't my idea, it's God's idea. <laughs> I didn't do this, God did. Well, you know, uh, you, you can't know, you can't know, the, this is it's just bo a book written by men. I said, ma'am, God used men. It's God's word written through men. It wasn't by men, it was from God through men to the written page. It's not what man has done, it's what God has done. It's God's word. Well, how can you trust it? It's the truth. And the truth is set, has set, will set you free. And she didn't want to talk about it anymore. Why? Because for so many years, unfortunately, like her, like so many people in the world, they don't know the truth of the scripture. They've been lied to. Their hope is in something that's not even true. That's why you and I must know the truth. It's like an exercise bike. How many of you actually have ever purchased an exercise bike? Now, I'm going to ask you a second question. How many after you used it? <laughs> Having one and using one is a big difference. Having one and using one, there's a big difference. You may have a Bible. What's the last time you used your Bible? When's the last time you took this book and tried to explain anything from it to another person? Maybe the reason why you don't, because you don't know it. Dear friends, we as believers in Jesus Christ must know what we believe and why we believe it. Do I know the truth? Secondly, we must ask ourselves, 
Do I care about other people? Here we read about Jeremiah who says, In my head were waters in my eyes, a fountain of tears that I might weep every day. He was crying. He was weeping. Jeremiah is known for the weeping prophet. When's the last time you and I shed a tear? We cry more over a loss of a football team than someone dying and going to hell. And that's the truth. We try, we cry over, over a sports event or lost money. And we cry over a soul, a neighbor to your right or a neighbor to our left that's probably going to die and go to hell forever. When's the last time you really wept for somebody? You wept for a soul. See, the reason why we don't weep is because our, sin, our heart has gotten hard. This world and materialism, which is about to go on show for the next two months, is our focus in life. The stuff of this world, materialism and entertainment and technology, the love of money, which is the root of all evil, causes our hearts to be hard. And so when things that really matter, like the souls of men and women, when those things are in front of us, we don't weep because we've lost our passion. There was a study done, survey actually, about what kids wanted in the United Kingdom. They had all these technological things, gizmos and gadgets galore. Number 10 on the list was a dad. Was a dad. One man wrote, Archibald Makeless, the crime against life, the worst crime is not to fear. There was never perhaps a civil, in civilization a time that crime, the crime of lethargy, of apathy, the snake-like sin of coldness of heart was commoner than in our technical civilization. We think the screen can save us. But what does the screen do? It separates us from a true fellowship with God and other people. Question I ask you, do we care? Do we know the truth? Do we hate sin? We see sins around us so often we don't even blush anymore. We see signs to bear all and micanope. We don't even, we don't even blush anymore. We see signs and pictures on TV and we just like, well, that's just normal anymore. We don't blush because of sin anymore. Will we be valiant for the truth? Why? But who? Who should be valiant for this truth? We who should be strong. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6, Not by might, nor by power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not our strength that will help us be valiant. It's God's strength. We have little, but through Christ, we can do much. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I will strengthen them in the Lord and shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord, Zechariah said. The Christian life, dear friend, is impossible to live outside of Christ. That's what we usually do. We go to church on Sunday. We wake up on Monday trying to, live, trying to do it ourselves. And we wonder why we fail so often. Because we're trying to live the Christian life outside of Christ. Who? The strong. Those who have effort. Those who would give effort. 
The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, If the iron be blunt, and who did not wet the edge, then he must be put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. God wants us to, want, wants to use your hands, your feet, your mouth. God is wanting to use more than just the people, person in the pulpit or in the leadership. He wants to use every person that's in the pew. He wants to use all of us, but we must be willing to be used. Are you willing to be used? And if we're strong with God's help, effort, we will have victory. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, yea, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You see, dear friends, it's time to quit moping about the problems and troubles of the world and start realizing we're on the winning side. I love to watch a game when I know my team's already won. And if they've lost, I don't even turn it on. I'll just be honest. Thank God for DVR. But dear friend, as Christians, we've already won. The, we've already won. We're on the winning side. Oh, yes, there's battles. There's scars, there's wounds, there's problems, but we've won. We need to live like victors, not victims. We're not a victim. We're victor victors. We're conquerors in Christ. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You and I are going to rule and reign with Christ. Now, some of you are going to be ruling over McDonald's. Or Wendy's a Burger King, maybe some of you look bigger more, but we get to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Do you realize that? We'll be valiant for the truth. For what? For fellow man. You see, if we don't tell them the truth, who will? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, For our gospel will be hid is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the lie of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. You dear friends, we must take the gospel to them. We who know Christ must share Christ. People are hungry to know Christ today. Because they've been fed by the world, the flesh, and the devil, paste pearls that cannot satisfy. The only hope they have is in Christ. I met two people yesterday, one on visitation and one at Ace Hardware, who told me, I need to get back in church. They know it in their heart. I see it in their eyes. They know where their only hope is, is in the church. Why? What? For fellow man, for those who will live in fear. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that our responsibility, Paul's cry of his life, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jude, Jude 22, and to some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Oh, we have a great responsibility. What are we doing as believers to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people? Dear friends, it's not just the missionary's responsibility. It's all our responsibility. It's all our responsibility. We see athletes, and they're willing to sacrifice and give and train for something that's temporal. I wonder today, if someone asked you how to be saved, could you take a Bible and show them from the scriptures how to be saved? 
have you prepared yourself to preach, to tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you done that? Have you done that? The what? For fellow man, for those who live in fear, for fellowship. You see, I can't help someone if I'm not right with God. The Bible says in, in verse 23 of the same chapter, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, they'll say the Lord, let the wise man glory not glory, in, uh, let, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory, glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. What does God delight? He delights in our relationship with him. He delights that you walk with him and talk with him and spend time with him. And dear friend, if you do that, then other people will say, you're a Christian, aren't you? And when their marriage is in trouble, they'll come talk to you. You see, friend, as a preacher, I can't be where you're going to be. I can't be where you're going to be. I can't be always that person that is where you're at at work or where you're at at home. When, when things get tough and someone loses a daughter or cancer comes or trouble comes, sickness comes, or financial difficulties come, can that person in your family or worse with you come to you and say, I know you're a Christian because you don't curse all the time. Because you don't listen to that old junk world music out there in the world. Because you're listening to amazing grace, not hell's bells. You're living for Christ. Well, what would the world say? If they're looking for hope, dear friend, they're not just going to look for somebody else that doesn't have any hope. When I was in high school and going through all kinds of craziness in life and, tr and trouble, I, wouldn't, I would turn to my friends because misery loves company. But if I knew I wanted something right, I would turn to people who knew God. And there were very few of them. Would you be one of the few? Just by the grace of God, not perfect, but trying to live for Christ. Will you be valiant for the truth? Will you be strong? Will you speak up? Will you... As believers in, Christians, in Jesus Christ, speak by your life, by your conversation of life. So you don't wear a United States military uniform. You, you, you wear the garb of God and must live for Christ in this wicked world. But do people see it? People see it every day. I read a book that Brother Chuck bought for me <laughs> called A Letter to the American Church by a man by the name of Eric Metaxas. I, got it, I was given to it on Pastor Appreciation Day, and I read the whole thing, Brother Chuck. I'm going to tell you that. I read the whole chunk of that. He said, silence in the face of evil is evil. Silence in the face of evil is evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will, hold, will not hold us guiltless. And what he was doing, he was comparing the United States of America right now with the church right before the deaths of millions in Germany. 
millions of Jews and Christians and gypsies who died during the Holocaust. One Protestant pastor said, they came for the socialists and I not speak out because I was a socialist. They came for the trade unionists and I didn't speak out because I was not a trade unionist. They came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. They came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. There was 12,000 Protestant church, churches in that area approximately. 3,000 went straight towards Nazism and Hitler. 3,000 went totally against them, said this is wrong and wicked, we're not going to be a part of them. But there were 6,000 churches that did not do anything pro or against them. And Metaxas says in his book, in his book if all 12,000 12, churches would have stood up against what was going on in Germany at the time, the Holocaust would never happen. Could we get 12,000 Protestant churches in Florida to stand up against truth? Or the United States of America? Can we get up and say the death of the unborn is wrong? Can we get 12,000 to say homosexuality is wrong? Can we get 12,000 to say transgenderism is wrong? Can we get up and say sin is always wrong? Could we do it? Could we get 12,000 churches in America today? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. You see, folks, we've got to get back to the Bible. We've got to get back to the truth. We're so afraid of offending people. We're so scared to make up people upset. I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying be mean or not showing love and compassion, but I'm saying, folks, if we don't stand up now and speak the truth and say, thus saith the Lord, then my son and my daughter and their children are not going to have a local independent Baptist church to come to. You're not going to have it because we are afraid to speak up. We are afraid it's not politically correct. We are afraid of what family will say or friends will say. Dear friend, just speak the truth. Speak the truth. It starts with a personal decision. Every one of us lives. I can't do it for my wife. I can't do it for my kids. I can only start with me. I'm going to choose to live for God. How about you? Husbands and fathers must choose to lead in their homes, Christians in their neighborhoods, church. We must sit. We must not sit and soak and sour. We must get involved. I need more people in this room come to me and say, Preacher, what can I do for Jesus? I can tell you, just come to me. It rarely happens. It rarely happens. We need to be the shining light in a dark place. Not just for us, but for the generations after us. The question is, will we be valiant? Will we be determined? Will we be courageous for the truth? Or will we, like Hezekiah did, sadly, at the end of his life, say, Ah, 
It's not going to happen in my days. It's not going to happen in my days. And it may not, though it is happening in your day. The destruction of the United States is happening right before our eyes. It's happening right before our eyes. The only hope for the United States is Jesus Christ. And that's through the local, independent, Bible-believing, Christ-preaching church. It's through individuals just like you who go out through the highways and hedges and by the grace of God live a Christian life. Will you, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, be valiant for the truth? Father, we thank you for all you've done. We thank you, Lord, for the our military, for everyone who served with honor. Thank you for their sacrifice, but Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice so we can have everlasting life. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us that we would take a hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves some, some serious questions. Do I care? Am I committed? Am I focused? Does others matter? When's the last time I wept for a soul? When's the last time I cared about anyone else besides myself? Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And with head bowed, eyes closed, maybe there's someone who came in this room and said, Preacher, if I was to die today, I'm not even sure I'm saved. Dear friend, the, the greatest decision you can ever make in your life is knowing Christ as your Savior. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 or 12, Wherefore is not one man sin into the world? And death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We're all sinners. We're all sinners, and none of us can save ourselves. And that's the bad news. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Paul said to the, that Philipp, the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You can be saved today. It's not intellectual belief, but wholehearted belief in Christ. Do you believe in him? Has your life been different since you asked him to save you? The Bible says all you have to do is confess the Lord Jesus. Thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Preacher, I've never done that. I've never admitted that I'm a sinner. I've never placed my faith. I've never believed, consciously chosen to believe in Jesus Christ. I've never confessed him with my mouth and believed in him in my heart that I might be saved. I've never done that, but I want to tonight, this morning. I want to be saved. Well, dear friend, nobody's looking around, only me. Could I see your hand? Preacher, I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all this morning? 